Thank you, worship team. I, I love that song and the picture that it gives us. Those of us who follow Jesus, we ought to magnify him everywhere we go, that people see us and, and, and around us and they see something different. They see the love that, that Jesus has for us, and it just spews out to everybody else. I love that. Thank you so much, worship team. Well, my name's Brad. I'm the lead pastor and one of the teaching pastors here at Crossbridge, and we're glad that you are here. Over the next uh, few weeks, we're going to do some standalone um, teachings, which we're not going to be in a series. We're going to be all over the place, and uh, Jordan will be up next week, and then Piper and, and Trevor are actually going to do a teaching at the end of the month on our family day here, so we're excited about that. But as I was preparing and thinking about what do I want to teach the week after Easter, um, I decided the best place to start would be the book of Acts, which was supposed to be funny because that's what we just got done with, okay? So if just try to follow along. It's all right. Um, but it is, you know, we, we, we took the book of Acts and kind of walked through what happened with the, the early church at the beginning, and then we celebrated Easter. And I just wanted to come back and revisit this whole thing because I love the church, and I know that the church has made all kinds of mistakes. I know that uh, we continue to make mistakes. We don't get it right all the time. But I still believe more than anything that the church is the hope of the world. That if we can actually <laughs> be what the, the church that Jesus designed from the very beginning, that we can make an impact like never before. And I believe it's the answer to what is happening in our world and happening in our culture and we just got to get it right if we possibly can and just love people and, and, and come alongside and, and, and be who Jesus has called us to be. So I absolutely love the church. I believe it is, is God's plan, Jesus' plan was to how he was going to reach the world is through this movement called the church that he instituted. And, and from time to time, quite regularly, we get people say, you know what, I, I, I read about the church in Acts, and that Acts chapter 2 church, and that's the kind of church that I want to belong to. I want to be one of those Acts chapter 2 churches. So that's actually where I want to start today. Because I have to ask ourselves, you know, myself included, is are we, really, <laughs> are we really willing to be that kind of church? The kind that, that is laid out? And so let me read this to you, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. I'm kind of partial to sharing in the meals. And to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. It's no wonder that when we read those verses and we read the, look at this, uh, this, this church in, in, in the second after chapter of Acts, we look at that and we say, man, that is how it ought to be. And it is how it ought to be. And we look at the unity and we look at the things that are happening in that church and, and say, man, if we could just get a piece of that back, if we could be that kind of church again, we could make such a difference. And I believe that's what we all aspire to. And we think of that, you know, the unity they have, they're getting together, sharing meals together, going out and selling all of their possessions. They saw the resurrected Jesus, and it changed them so much that, that nothing worldly mattered to them. They sold their possessions. They brought it all in, and they took care of the poor. They took care of the needy. They took care of anybody that had need. That's what the church was designed to do. And we ask ourselves, is how do we get there? 
How do we become that kind of church? How do we become that kind of movement here again today in our culture, in our society, in our world that we are in, in today? And I ask you, is there anything more important than what we're doing today, right here, right now? Is there anything more important for you to gather with a bunch of people trying to figure this whole life thing out, coming alongside people who are in need, coming alongside people who are struggling, who are battling mental health and battling health issues and battling uh, relationship issues? Is there anything more important than us to gather, to come alongside each other and worship and, and pray for each other and come, come into their lives and, and build them up and say, we're in this thing together. That's what it's all about. That's what this whole church thing was all about from the very beginning. Serving others, showing our gratitude to this God who's given us so much. Scripture tells us that all good things are a gift from our Heavenly Father. And the event that we celebrated last week, this Easter, this resurrection of this Jesus, does it change us? Does it actually transform us from the inside out? Do we look differently? Do we behave differently? Do we love differently? Because of that event. That's what following Jesus is all about. Recalibrating our lives to do what Jesus has called us to do. And we look at the disciples, and, and that's exactly what happened to them. They were different people after, after seeing the resurrected Jesus. And, and I think so often that we, we think that, you know what, we're not talented enough, we don't know enough, we're not educated enough to make a difference. And we look at the disciples, and when you look at the people that Jesus actually chose, this was not a dream team. If you were going to pick, pick a bunch of guys that was going to take, take this news of this Jesus to the world, you would not pick these 12 guys. But yet Jesus chose them, and they went out and did exactly that. They changed the world. And we can do the same thing. I love that there was a time that they were actually in front of the same people, the, the Pharisees and the religious elite, that, that actually had Jesus crucified, and these disciples are in front of them. And after they leave, the, 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 the Sadducees and, and Pharisees are all talking, and they said, who are these guys? They're just, a, they're just a bunch of ordinary people that had been with Jesus. And I love that picture. Because we are ordinary people, aren't we? we don't, maybe we don't think that we have what it takes, but we are ordinary people that when we are with Jesus, there's something different. There's something transformed about us. Or maybe you're sitting here thinking, you know, I can't do great things for God because of my past. There's too much baggage. There's too much stuff. I've done too many things wrong. And we look at people like Peter who denies Jesus three times. We look at Matthew, the tax collector that Jesus personally picked out, who would have been hated by everybody around him. I'm sure the disciples even said, why are we picking this Matthew guy? And then we're even going to his house to party with his friends. What is going on here, Jesus? Mary Magdalene, who was thought to be a prostitute, Jesus brings her into the inner circle and uses her. No matter what the past is, no matter what your past is, God can use you, and he will use you. And the disciples at this point after Jesus has been crucified, they are scared, and maybe some of you are scared, to go and live this life for Jesus. But when they saw the resurrected Jesus, it was game on. And I love that. It's honestly how we start every Sunday. We get the team together, the worship team and the teachers and things, and everybody's here getting ready for the Sunday. And one of the last things we do is we do this corny thing where we get all our hands in and say, you know, it's game on, because that's what it's about. We are all in here making a difference 
in people's lives. So this Acts 2 church started off with 3,000 converts on day one. And then 5,000 were added later. And scholars will tell us that within six months, that was thought to have 100,000 people following Jesus in Jerusalem, where they had just crucified Jesus. And then within, within 40 years, it had, this gospel, this news of, of this resurrected Jesus had reached all the corners of the known world at that time. It was amazing what had happened. Why did that happen? How did that happen? It wasn't about talent. It wasn't about the special people. It wasn't about their charisma or their education. There was something explosive happening, and that's what we want to look at today. I want to actually go through the first 14 verses of, of Acts chapter 1, and we're going to read the whole thing first, and then I'm going to go back out, and we're going to kind of pick pieces out of it and see if we can't figure out why in the world did this church do what it did. Why did this movement take off the way it did and change and radically change even us today, 2,000 years later? And how can we capture that as a church? How can we capture that as individuals? How can we become that kind of church that we all long to be? So we're going to start in Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 14. And, you know, we haven't done this for a while, since we're going to read this long passage. Would you mind standing just in the honor, just to honor God's word today? And we'll read through this. Acts 1, verse 1. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up to a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room for the house they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father God, as we look at this passage and break it down, would you just impress upon our hearts how we can become this kind of church, how we can make an impact like never before. That's what our hearts are. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. So let's just unpack this a little bit and, and try to find these four ways that, that we can kind of cling on to and, and watch what this church did and the four things that really set them apart, that made this whole movement explode, that we can kind of maybe look at ourselves and say, where do we need to improve? Where do we need to do? How can we be this kind of church? And the very first thing they did is they had a faith that produced 
obedience. They just trusted God, and he did whatever he asked. Let's go back to, to verse number four. Here's what it says. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. And then verse eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I want us to stop and just think about this situation for a moment here. Jesus is with them for 40 days. So this is at the end of that 40 days. It is just within almost a month that Jesus had been crucified. That they didn't know really what was going to happen. And here is Jesus saying, you know what, we're going to go to Jerusalem. This is where we're going to start this movement. And my guess is some of the disciples are saying, you know, Jesus, why don't we pick some places a little easier? Why don't we pick some place that, you know, maybe like you weren't crucified at? You know? Why don't we pick a city that maybe they haven't heard about you, and we can just tell the story. It will be a lot easier that way. And Jesus said, no, this is where we're going to go. It wasn't safe. It wasn't smart. You and I would not choose that. But Jesus says, this is where we're going to go. We're going to go to Jerusalem where they hate you. We're going to go to Jerusalem where they just had me crucified. We're going to go to Jerusalem to start this whole thing. And then we're going to go to Judea and Samaria where you hate them where you don't want to associate with those kind of people. And then we're going to go to the ends of the earth where you don't even know what that means and you don't even know how to get there. And here are this ragtag bunch, these 12 guys, and they don't know what to do. But they were obedient. And they head back and go to this upper room. You know, it's just unbelievable. They had this obedience. It wasn't about how they felt. Because if they were going by how they felt, they probably would not start in Jerusalem. It wasn't about their whole opinions of where they were going to go. About how, how we, you know, maybe I think we should do this instead of that. It was, I'm going to listen to who Jesus is. It wasn't based on their circumstances. Because their circumstances would tell you, you surely don't go back to the same place. They just had Jesus crucified. But yet they were listening to Jesus. They were listening to God. They were so tuned in to what God was calling them to do. They were hearing from him. What we like to do is, what we call it around here is, is chasing the whisper. Hearing God speak and, and hearing a whisper and acting on that in obedience. And as I was processing that this week, I, I wondered how many times in my own life, and my guess is our lives, that we are so busy, that we are so hurried with our schedules and everything that's going on, that we don't hear those whispers. That we don't take enough time, we don't take enough uh, uh, downtime and uh, to actually want to and hear, be able to hear what God is calling us to do, what our next steps are. We just have to slow down so that we can hear that. Their faith produced obedience. They did what was asked of them. The second thing is they had a passion that produced unity. I want to read you this, this verse, verse 14, actually out of the NASB. It says this, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They had this unity. They had this passion of, of telling the world about Jesus that produced unity, about this event that had just happened. It's what we've been talking about for the last, I don't know how many weeks, that, that our foundation of our faith is about this Jesus who lived who was crucified 
and who rose again. That was the basis of what, they, what the gospel was, is that we now have freedom through this Jesus, that there's an empty tomb, and we can have a different kind of life than we've ever had before. That's the foundation. And they had this unity surrounded that. And I'm telling you what, this is the one thing that honestly just breaks my heart about the church today. And I follow all kinds of pastors on social media and, and other places and blogs and you name it. And I see what's happening in conversation between Christians, between Jesus followers. And they're tearing each other apart. And we're tearing each other apart. Not in civil discord, just trashing people. And I think back to Jesus as he, he gets his disciples together and he prays for them and he prays for unity. He says, I pray that you'll have unity among each other, just like God and I are one in, in union. I, I pray that's what it'll be, that this isn't a competition. This isn't about us against them. We're in this thing together. We're on mission together. He prays for unity for them. And then he goes on to say, you know why you need to have unity? So that those on the outside will see it and be drawn to it. And right now what's happening in the church is anything but that. And I read and I hear these things, and, I, I, and I'm thinking, how did we get here? How do we have this tone with each other? And some may say, well, you know, that's iron sharpening iron, and I love a good debate. I love having discussions. I love, there's nothing, we, we do it all the time. The staff, just a couple weeks ago, I, we do a squat up, and we got everybody in, in one of the, our offices and said, hey, here's what I, here's what I got to know. Here's what I'm thinking, and... <laughs> And here's what I'm struggling with, and here's what I can't, I, I can't quite square with Scripture and things. And, and so we had this two-hour discussion, and we did not walk out of that room all on the same page. There was still some disagreement here, but, man, we did it in a loving manner, respectful manner. And I grew towards some of their positions, and they grew some, towards some of my positions. That's what it's about. That's iron sharpening iron, not this hateful stuff that's going around and, and conversation so that I can prove that I am right. Because my theology, my belief is better than yours. That's what's happening now, and we have got to stop it. We can have discussions, and we, like I said, we love them, but we've got to do it in a manner that is uplifting, in a loving way to bring others. And, and it's amazing when this happens because, you know what, you find yourself kind of sometimes in the middle, and you think, oh, I don't know, yeah. And we live with that tension. That's what it's all about. But we end up, at the end of it, still in relationship and in a loving relationship. That's what it's all about. And then Jesus says in here, these, they all met with one mind. What was that one mind all about? What was it that they, they grasped onto? What was it that Jesus talked to them about in those 40 days? We go back to verse 3. And remember, this is the last 40 days that Jesus knows that he's going to spend time with them, that he's going to pour into this group of people who is going to take the gospel to the world, that he is leaving them on mission. So whatever he is talking about them, whatever he is building into them, it's got to be the most important thing. It's the thing that, that we've got to hang our hat on. It says this in verse 3. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. Sometimes it was with one of them, sometimes with a couple of them, sometimes with multitudes, with all kinds of people. 
and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. That's what he poured into them. He talked to them about the kingdom of God. They were united around the purpose of God doing something amazing in the world that they were a part of, that you and I are a part of. This whole kingdom process, that's what they were united around. As Jesus teaches the disciples to pray, that your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. You see, what we do as Jesus' followers, we usher in a piece of heaven here. We are called to be the salt and the light of the world. People should look at us and say, there's something different about them. There's something that I don't know what it is. I don't even know if I believe all that God stuff. I don't even know if I believe all that Jesus stuff. But they are so loving. They are so amazing that there's something attractive. It's irresistible. That's what we're called to do, ushering in the kingdom of God. So we could do a whole series on what the kingdom of, of God actually is, but it's basically this, is that it's about God's activity in the world, him reconciling the world, him reconciling people to himself. And again, we have a part of that. It's the big picture of what God is doing in the world. This is not just a one and done thing, that he came once and this is it. He's, he's active around us today, reconciling all things back to himself. And we get to be a part of that. We get to be part of that reconciliation process of people to God, people to each other in relationship. That, that's our calling. Us for others. And we have to ask ourselves, what are we truly for? What are you and I for? What is the church for? And I think if you would actually ask people outside the church what we were for, they would have a hard time coming up with that. But if you ask them what we were against, they'd give you a whole list. And I don't believe that's exactly what we're designed to be. Listen to what Matthew, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. Not everything that you want, everything that you need. See, everything in our lives is supposed to be revolving around the kingdom of God. Everything that we, we, we have and we do needs to be through that filter of what God is doing in the world today and how we can join him in the whole thing. And I think what's happened is we've, we've kind of dumbed this whole thing down to following Jesus is all about, about saying a prayer, giving our lives to Jesus, and securing our spot in heaven. And then we get to go out and live our life any way we want to. And as much as that may be true, but what we're doing at that point, that's just the starting point. And now we get to join God in what he is doing in this whole reconciliation process of making things right in the world, of the way we treat each other, the way we hang out with each other. It's a beautiful thing. Unity. If we can just get back to that, if we can do that right, I'm telling you, the church, once again, will become irresistible, those on the outside, because you'll see an impact like never before. We'll see the Acts 2 church again. The third thing is they had a desperation that resulted in prayer. They had no other choice. They couldn't do it on their own, and they absolutely knew that. 
Because here's what happened is, is the, these disciples and these follow, early followers of Jesus, they, they all knew the story of how Jesus had grown up like one of us, that he called these 12 disciples, that they lived, he poured into them, that he was crucified, that he rose again. He spent 40 days with them, commissioning them, telling them, let's go out and, and, and bring in the kingdom to the, to, the, to the earth. And then he commissioned them and said, you're it. And then he left. And there they were. Verse 8, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, where they hate you, through Judea and Samaria, where you hate them, and to the ends of the earth, where you don't even have a clue where that is yet. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. He basically says, okay, guys, this is it. I am leaving, and you're on. It's up to you. You've got to get this whole thing done. And my guess is they are scared to death because they lost Jesus once. They lost him as he was crucified, and they scattered, and, and they ran. And now they see him again, and they're all gathered around thinking, man, look at this. We are on again. And now he's leaving them once again to fulfill the commission, to fulfill what they, he is asking them to do. And they're just standing there looking up into heaven as he's leaving. And then these two angels came to come to him, verse 11. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? My guess is they're sitting here. Jesus said, oh, my gosh, he's gone. Now what? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way that you saw him go. And so they remember what Jesus says, and they go back to Jerusalem, and they go into an upper room, and here's what they do. They say, okay, guys, it's all, our, it's all our plan now, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to get out the whiteboards. We're going to get our spreadsheets. We're going to make a plan on how we're going to do this. It's not what they did. Scripture tells us what they did was go back, and they devoted themselves to prayer, and they waited for the Holy Spirit. They knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that they could not do this on their own, that they were against unsurmountable odds, that if they just went on on their own, that they were going to be in trouble. And I'm sure they recollected all the people like Moses and Abraham and Joshua who said, you know what, God, I will do what you asked me to do, but, man, if you don't go, I'm not going. I need you ahead of me. I need you there. And they devoted themselves to prayer because they knew with, without God in the center of this, without God prodding them on and being there every step of the way, they were going to fail. And I'm afraid in our, in our churches today, we are so comfortable with where we are that we don't even need God, that we aren't desperate for him. We aren't desperate for God to show up. We're not doing things bold enough and big enough that, that it, if God doesn't show up, we're going to fail. The only time we get desperate for God is when something out of our control happens. A relationship, a marriage goes south. We get a medical diagnosis that we weren't expecting. Our, we lose a job, our finances, and all of a sudden we realize we can't do this. We can't fix it on our own. And so we get desperate for God, and the first place we go is for prayer. We've got to get back to a place in our churches that, that, that we are desperate for God's presence. We are desperate for him to show up. We are desperate for him to come alongside of us in everything we're trying to accomplish, to see lives transformed. And that's why for the last year or so, we've been, been trying to do an emphasis on prayer. We have another prayer night coming up on the 26th, hashtag ad. <laughs> and we're going to get together, and we're just going to pray. 
It's been amazing to watch, and it's been so cool. We've gotten to pray for, for people going through stuff and, 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 and come alongside. It's what we're, we've got to get back to that, a desperation of God, show up here, please. And then the final thing they had, there was a spirit that produced power. And we can't argue with the power of what happened to these individuals and this early church when the Holy Spirit descended upon them, what we call the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was given to them. Jesus told them to go sit in this room and just wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And Jordan actually talked about this in our last series and about how it looked like tongues of fire coming down on them. And, and they went out into the crowds and there was a gathering, there was a festival going on, there was people from all different kinds of nations there and these 12 disciples went out and started preaching the gospel, the good news that Jesus lived, that he was crucified, and that he was rose again, the foundation of our faith, the good news. And they started talking to them in their own native languages through the Holy Spirit. And the thing exploded. It was amazing what happened. The church was born, and nothing could stop it, just like Jesus prophesied, that the gates of hell couldn't stop it. I want to close today with a reading out of a book called Forgotten God by Francis Chan. Here's what he says. He says, when I read the book of Acts, I see the church as an unstoppable force. The church was powerful and spreading like wildfire, not because of clever planning, but by a movement of the Spirit. Riots, torture, poverty, or any other type of persecution couldn't stop it. Isn't that the type of church movement we all long to be a part of? And I pray it's a resounding yes to that question. And then he goes on and says this. The world is not moved by love or actions that are of human creation. And the church is not empowered to live differently from any other gathering of people without the Holy Spirit. But when believers live in the power of the Spirit, the evidence in their lives is supernatural. The church cannot help but be different, and the world cannot help but notice. When we live by the Holy Spirit, and we live the way Jesus has called us to live, we become irresistible. And people flock to say, what in the world is going on here? Why do they love the way they do? Why do they take care of each other the way that they do? That's the kind of church the Acts 2 church was. And that's the kind of church that we long to be right here. Why do we gather? Why are we here? Why are you here today? Not just to do a checkoff list, is to hear the whisper, is to hear God speak to you and say, this is what we're up to. Come join us. What kind of church do we really want to be? What kind of church are we? Where do we need to get more like this, this Acts 2 church? Where is it God is calling us to be? We want to be the kind of church that we see lives transformed, and I'm telling you, we're seeing it all over the place. We're seeing people take next steps. It is so encouraging to watch and step back, and some of you may be here, and you're thinking, Man, I, I've not experienced this kind of thing before, and I don't know how to act. I don't know how, 
how to even understand what's going on, and, and we watch you take next steps and, and get closer and closer to God, and it's going to be amazing to watch what God is going to do in you and through you. That's what we're here for. That's the kind of church we want to do is to spur each other on, as Scripture says, so that we can become, become more and more like Jesus and make an impact like never before, so that we can bring a little piece of heaven down to earth, that we can build his kingdom here on earth and not our own. And it all starts with obedience to what God is calling us to. And it will remain strong and resilient through our unity together over the foundation of our faith, the resurrected Jesus. And it will all be powered by prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what I pray and long for Crossbridge to be. Would you pray with me? Father God, it is so humbling that you would choose to use people like us. We are not the dream team, but through you and our prayer and the Holy Spirit, we can make a difference like never before. Father, show us in our own lives and as a church, God, where we need to be more like this Acts 2 church, that we need to come alongside more of, of how you have wired us so that we can become effective and see lives transformed and changed. God, this is not our church. This is your church. And we lay it down in front of you. God, your kingdom first, not our kingdom. Whatever's in our way, our idols, the things that are keeping us back from fully pursuing you as individuals and as a church, God, I pray that we would lay it down and you'd press it upon our hearts and show us what those things are. And God, that we will make a difference in our families' lives, in our friends' lives, in our workplaces, and in our community. And that you would get all the glory for it. It's in the amazing, powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.